This is the CPR for Life podcast with Dr. Sagar Doshi and Zach Harmosis. We specialize in both lifestyle and emergency medicine. This is the show that explains your health problems and how you can undo them. Quick disclaimer, even though what we say is evidence-based, we don't know your specific details. So this is just for education. Make sure you talk this stuff over with your doctor. Welcome back to this next episode in the series on high blood pressure. In this one, you're going to learn about the most common ways that high blood pressure is typically treated and get some more details on them. So now that we're talking about it, it's not as if lifestyle factors and interventions are not mentioned by people that are treating high blood pressure. There are things that get told to patients. Oh, yeah, all, all the time. Uh, I, I think that the the problem with the way that we deliver this is not so much that we don't all agree that lifestyle medicine or that lifestyle interventions are important. I think the problem comes with the healthcare system is not designed to specifically walk you through them and, and teach you and focus on those things. And and again, in defense of all these primary care doctors, cardiologists, nephrologists, they're just asked to see a ton of patients and to treat things very quickly. They just don't have time to spend an hour with patients at a time, which is really what they need. Um, to go into depth explaining what the heck right. needs to happen and why. Yeah, and that's where, where lifestyle medicine comes into play. Yeah. Uh, this is you know exactly what it's designed to do. Yeah. So, so this system, is not an indictment on yeah, this is an indictment on your doctor or that they're not doing their job. That that's not at all what we're trying to say. It's that, that sometimes you just need a, some additional. A lot of times, really, you need additional instruction. Yeah. Let me put it this way: the system is putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> I agree. I can make corny jokes. Last what movie was that from? Corn. I have no idea. <laughs> it's from a movie. I forget. I should know this. I'm I'm ashamed of myself for not knowing. Oh. Extra points to anyone that writes in with the proper answer. There we go. Yeah, that would, that would be helpful. So let's get into it. What are the things that, you know, if I go see my primary care provider, my blood pressure is 150 over 90, what am I going to hear? First thing. Uh, that I think most people appropriately tell their patients is limit your salt intake. Uh, and if you listen to our previous podcast, you'll hear why, but salt will basically increase your fluid retention and increases the volume of fluid in your blood, which will increase your blood pressure. Sorry, I just had a mental image of Chris Farley in a tiny coat. <laughs> now that one, that movie I could definitely tell <laughs> you. That is Black Sheep, and it's a great one. <laughs> you see, trying to close the zipper there, exerted a lot more pressure <laughs> on the coat. So, <laughs> moving on. What are some other things? So, they'll tell us, all right, eliminate salt. Yes. Next, uh, typically, is going to be weight loss. Uh, and again, we talked about that too, uh, where you decrease the amount of length of the tubes, uh, you'll decrease the resistance. You're, everything won't have to pump quite as hard and will lower your blood pressure. Uh, so, also good advice. Uh, for most people, of course. That's not everybody. But for a lot of people, weight loss will help. Yeah, there's less territory to cover. Less, yep. less distance that blood needs to go. And what else will I hear? Stress. Uh, I, this one's probably a little bit less talked about in my experience because um, most patients will tell you that I know I need to lose weight. I know I need to limit my salt. Not all of them talk about you know stress and meditation. Uh, but most of the experts, in, as far as JNC, the, the kind of like the authority on on blood pressure in, in this country, have talked about uh, about a 10 millimeter of mercury reduction of the systolic from about 10 to 15 minutes of meditation or relaxation or prayer a day. Oh, yeah, that's in the official guidelines, which is fantastic. But mm -hmm. how much time 
How many people actually heard that? And if they did hear it, how many people said, I will do that? And how many people said, bleh, that can't be real? Well, and, and even the people who say they're going to do it and not realizing that, and we talk about this all the time with mindfulness, that it's not just like you just sit down and, quote, clear your mind. That's true. I mean, there's actually, it's harder than it sounds for people to actually really, like, relaxing is hard. Now, we're all very expert on how to ramp up. <laughs> right. That's the easy part. We all know what to do when the right. lion comes around. But then what? <laughs> then what do we do? <laughs> and that's, that's the thing. There are actually these devices that are out there, just trigger that memory, that try to commercialize, monetize, take advantage of those effects of meditation, but in a way where they can sell people products. And you know, for some people, that may be what they need to actually get it done. There's this thing where you hook up a blood pressure cuff, you put in some headphones, and they take you through breathing exercises. And you're supposed to do that a few times a day, and it makes an impact. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other thing, mm -hmm. you wear a clip on your ear, and they track your stress levels through how your heart rate is running. And they tell you to do various things while the clip is on your ear. And those various things are just meditations. So it's been out there for a while that this is effective. And yeah. if you need a mechanism, a device to make you do it, it exists. It's out there. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other uh, couple things you can do um, that, again, are recommended typically, less alcohol, no tobacco, uh, and physical activity are the other things that you'll typically hear. And please, please, please stop drinking the monsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And this isn't, don't worry, we're, we're touching on these lifestyle interventions, these things you can do in yourself just briefly here, but we're going to get into it in much more detail Correct. later on. This is just the part where this is what you may hear when you walk into your doctor's office and they diagnose you with having yes. high blood pressure. So what else will we Yeah, do? I mean, so those are kind of like the main lifestyle things you hear from, from the doctors, uh, from doctor's offices. Again, all good things agree with every single one of those recommendations. Um, but then typically, you know, you go walk in, let's say you went to your doctor's office, you were 150 over 95. Uh, you, you went home, had your, you know, three month follow up visit after that, and your blood pressure is the same, despite the fact that you either instituted these lifestyle changes or couldn't institute those lifestyle changes and your blood pressure is still high. The next question is, what's next? Mm -hmm. And usually it's a drug. Uh, usually we start medications yeah. at this point. Again, appropriately, uh, there was a study uh, done in China a few years ago that looked at people who had uncontrolled blood pressure versus controlled blood pressure and compared that to people who were never diagnosed with blood pressure. And surprisingly, the people who had controlled blood pressure had no worsened outcomes compared to the people who never had blood pressure in the first place. The people who had uncontrolled blood pressure went on to have some bad outcomes. Uh, many more of the disease process we've talked about that high blood pressure leads to. Uh, but the people who were controlled did okay. So it is really important to get this under control. I know it's hard for patients a lot of times because they don't feel bad necessarily all the time. You come into the doctor's office, you don't feel your blood pressure is 150 over 9. You'll feel some people that will come in and say, listen, I know my blood pressure is high. When it gets above 160, 170, I get jittery, I get a headache, I don't feel right. That's pretty common. But if you're running 150 over 90 for you know years and years and years, you might never know um, unless you're taking your blood pressure. Yeah, and be your body adjusts. Yeah. You just move on with your life and all of a sudden you don't realize that you're setting yourself up for some bad things to happen in the future. And that's another reason why it's really important to have a doctor and make sure you're getting these things checked. Uh, this is this is part of their job is to keep you safe in the long run. And then just because it came to mind, when you say, I feel jittery, I feel unwell, I know my blood pressure's up. Again, if you really look at it, we don't know what 
came first. Chicken Correct. Because if you feel crummy, your blood pressure is likely to go up. Yes, that is true. So let's talk. Let's talk drugs. Okay. Sagar, drugs are give, fun. give us. There's a bunch of a bunch of different classes for for antihypertensives or blood pressure drugs. So give us one here. All right. Let's talk about the ABCs. Let's start with ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers, which go into the part that we mentioned and didn't go into detail much, but the kidneys part. And that system where there's hormones and chemical messengers that are telling your system what it should do, what it should get rid of, what it should keep more of. Mm -hmm. And if you can interfere here, you can let those blood vessels get a little bit bigger. Is bigger a word? Bigger. Bigger. And, <laughs> and maybe get rid of a little uh, pressure in that aspect. Yeah. yeah. And they're good. They're good drugs. And you'll often see... So the other thing I guess we should mention about this is these drugs are typically used in certain disease processes. Um, mm, so it's, I think it's worth mentioning that if you've had a heart attack or you have heart failure, uh, you'll often see... You're, you'll find yourself on an ACE inhibitor. And there's different... Yeah, because it's been shown to actually try improve how much you're going to survive yeah there, there's different reasons why um there's the remodeling theory that after you have a heart attack there's some remodeling that goes on and these inhibitor may or may not help with that i don't know if that's that was kind of the teaching when i was in residency i think that's probably still the teaching but i'm not sure if that's still the case but i know that you stood up on an ace inhibitor after you have a heart attack mm -hmm. so that's that's one of the one of the guidelines so there are certain cases where your doctor may put you on these if you have heart failure you'll end up on an ace inhibitor no matter what if you have uh, you know, diabetes, you'll end up on an ACE inhibitor no matter what. Uh, after a stroke, you'll end up on an ACE inhibitor. Um, so ACE inhibitors are, and, and angiotensin receptor blockers, I should say, both of them are kind of used, I don't want to say interchangeably, but they act very similarly uh, in the same part of the uh, of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. So you'll find yourself on that one. And again, that's a very, very common uh, drug class used for secondary prevention of you've already had some outcome that we don't like and your blood pressure is high, we're going to put you on this. Yep. And, you know, there are side effects. They're not as significant as the side effect of uncontrolled high blood Correct. pressure, because those side effects are critical. Mm -hmm. But there are some side effects. For example, people might get a cough. That happens to people that are on ACE inhibitors. They get switched off. Sometimes you get swelling of the lips in that area. Mm -hmm. That's a possibility of what can happen. Most people are able to tolerate these drugs, just not everyone. Right. And if you can't tolerate the one, they might switch you then to an angiotensin 2 receptor blocker. Yeah, which are a little bit newer. These inhibitors have been around for as long as I can remember. Uh, some of the new angiotensin receptor blockers are a little bit newer and have a little bit less. Yeah. Oh, go on. Just you give me a reminder here. We should actually mention the names of some ACE inhibitors so people know if they're on it or not. Yeah, good idea. And so these are the things that end in pril. For example, lisinopril or captopril or enalapril. I haven't seen captopril in a long time. I don't know why. I see lisinopril yeah. and enalapril. Come to think of it. Anyway, uh, and then the yeah. um, the angiotensin, the ARBs, the angiotensin receptor blockers tend to end in artin. So your losartin, your yes. valsartins, um, those are your angiotensin, recept angiotensin receptor blockers. I really have nothing else to say about okay. them. Okay. Yeah, me neither. Uh, <laughs> next. I could, we could go into great detail here. Yes. And that would bore people and not make a major improvement. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next then. All right. Give me another class. So how about beta blockers? Yeah. Talk to me about beta blockers. So beta blockers, there, there are a couple of different types of, of beta blockers. And the reason I say that is because you've got beta blockers that work just on the beta receptors. And you also have beta, receptor, beta blockers that also work on some alpha blockers as well. 
Um, so you might see a little bit of a, a combo there. But these are typically the 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 alls. So you know your metoprolol is a common one. Your atenolol is another one. Uh, if you want to start throwing in some alpha activity as well, you've got a little bit of carvedilol. Uh, but the way that the beta blockers typically work uh, is they slow down how hard the pump how hard the pump is working. So they will relax the heart. Mm-hmm. They will tell the heart, hey, don't pump so hard. Um, and the reason that's helpful, again, you'll, under, you'll see yourself on a beta blocker if you've got heart failure uh, or if you've had coronary disease or, or a heart attack. Specifically carvedilol in that case most of the time. Or metoprolol. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they basically want the heart not to pump so hard. They don't want the, especially if you've had a heart attack, you don't want your heart burning through so much oxygen uh, because the blood flow to the heart isn't great. So you want it to kind of relax, slow down because it'll slow down the heart. And it'll slow down how hard how hard it pumps. So each pump will be a little bit less, and it'll pump less often. There's only so much oxygen. There's only so much food because you've screwed up the food delivery mm-hmm. mechanism. So there's only so many food trucks coming into town. Please stop eating so much. <laughs> which is how I which is how I understand the beta blocker. Yeah, you know, stop beating as hard, stop beating as fast, and you won't need as much. You won't need as fuel. much fuel, right? Exactly. Um, and that's exactly what they do. So that's why you'll see yourself on those if you've had a heart attack or if you've had heart failure. Um, and it will lower your blood pressure by not having so much force behind each pump. So that that's basically the, the theory there. Uh, and pretty straightforward. Your main side effects you're going to see from beta blockers typically um, are going to be things like fatigue because it's also lowering your get up and go. Um so mm-hmm. you'll see people just kind of feel a little bit, you know, uh, blah when they're on them. And again, not everybody, but that's just a, a common side effect you see, particularly in young people on beta blockers. They might even I'll get all the way to feeling kind of depressed. Yeah, yeah. It could lower your heart rate too much. So sometimes you'll see, you know, you'll have hold parameters. Your doctor will tell you if your heart rate's less than, you know, 50 uh, or 60, don't take your, your beta blocker. Because, yeah, it can lower your heart rate to, a you know, every very rarely you'll see somebody get to a dangerously low level of, of slow heart rate, but it's not very common. And you usually have plenty of time to adjust yes. the dose of medicine or change it over to something yeah, else. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you happen to be a diabetic and you have low blood sugar, you may not be able to recognize that as much or as well if you're on a beta blocker. That's one yeah. thing to know. Anything else people should know about beta blockers and potential side effects there? I think those are the main ones. And I guess it should be say for any of these blood pressure medicines you know, before we move on that you can see your blood pressure go too low. Uh, so every once in a while people get on too many blood pressure medications at once, or they have a really profound response to one and they can actually have low blood pressures. And so you have to have medication adjustments for that reason. That's another common thing that we're seeing. But again, that's just, I don't know if I'd call that a side effect. It's just an over effect. It's an, an adverse event. So next we can talk about calcium channel blockers. So calcium channel blockers include you know, different classes of things, but they include medications that you may have heard of before. Amlodipine comes to mind, diltiazem, verapamil, anything else jump into your Those head? are the main ones, yeah. Um, like nifedipine, every once in a while you'll see. Um, oh, yeah. You said amlodipine? Yeah, you said amlodipine. Mm-hmm. And those are those are actually two different classes. The, the diltiazem and verapamil tend to work a bit more on the heart, whereas the amlodipine and nifedipine tend to work a little bit more peripherally. Meaning on the blood yes. vessels. Outside so of So you'll see people who are on verapamil uh, and diltiazem are people typically who have too high of heart rates. They'll be on those to slow it down. Whereas the other ones are typically used more for blood pressure. And that, that's also exerting some influence on uh, how hard the heart is squeezing as far as the ones that work on the heart. Yeah. And the other ones, those calcium channel blockers, will just help the blood vessels to not squeeze down so much. And it'll directly kind of have them relax. Most common cause of, of or most common side effect that I see with people who are on things like amlodipine 
uh, is is usually some peripheral edema, so some swelling in the legs typically because mm-hmm. those blood vessels dilate, so they don't bring back all that fluid so well, and they don't push it back up from the from the legs, so you'll get a little bit of dependent edema. Uh, it's usually not too intolerable uh, in my experience. And the the dependent edema part that means that you're getting the swelling and the parts that are depending on gravity, yeah, and depending on your blood vessels to move against gravity. Yeah, they're usually able to control that with some compression stockings or getting their legs lifted or moving around a little bit. Or if it becomes a real major problem, then sometimes you got to change medications or mm-hmm. address it with perhaps a diuretic. Yep. Nice. Nice transition. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. So they're diuretics, things that make you go pee, things that include medications like hydrochlorothiazide, HCTZ to abbreviate it, uh, and Lasix. These are probably the most popular common ones. And their whole premise is pee off the fluid. Mm -hmm. If there's less stuff in the container, then there'll be less pressure. If I'm stuffed into a tire or one of those rolling tunnels and I get smaller, I won't push as hard on the walls. That's true. I'm going to stick with this analogy. I'm not sure if it's working. I don't know if it is, but But I I I do like the imagery, so I'm glad we're doing it. Yes, uh, that's correct. And these are hydrochlorothiazide, chlorthalidone, uh, which act very similarly. Uh, and then you've got things like furosemide. They act in different spots on the kidneys and the tubules. I think, again, the, the scope of that is a little bit beyond uh, what we're going to talk about here. But yeah, those, those are the main ones. And then you've also got your potassium-sparing diuretics, uh, spironolactone, triamterene, uh, which will actually increase your potassium level. So sometimes if you get on these other diuretics, your potassium level drops because you end up peeing out too much of your electrolytes. The spironolactone, uh, yeah. triamterene, those are medications that help you retain some of that potassium at the same time. Yeah, these things that make you go pee also make you go and pee out things that your body may need. Right. Potassium, too much sodium sometimes, mm-hmm. calcium, for, for example. The loops, yeah. And that actually depends on which diuretic yeah, you're on. Yeah, so there's a little bit of a one does some stuff and they don't want to do some other stuff so that's why they sometimes your doctor will mix and match these to try to get to even how have the side effects help you you know in the case of a, the potassium sparing diuretics the side effect is you retain potassium and sometimes it's a good side effect if you need you to have more potassium or if you're somebody that has a history of having kidney stones maybe they'll pick something that doesn't make you pee out as much calcium so right you don't have as much calcium in there there are ways to use that's there are just so many we're not even touching on all of them here, no there are just so many medications yeah this is good all with different yeah. areas that they can work and different side effects and really they can be customized to your needs. So after that we could talk about other medications like nitrates. Nitroglycerin. Yeah. Yeah, these are these... which you may be on after a heart attack too. Yeah. Um you know and then you see like like imder is your long acting nitrate basically. Yeah. You know those are direct vasodilators. Uh, and and again that, those are ones that kind of depend on how well your endothelial endothelial function is because like you mentioned before if your endothelium is so messed up that you don't respond all that well to nitrous oxide or you don't uh, you know these ones may not work as well but in general I think they work pretty well and again in my experience if we give these to people there's usually enough of it in there that we're getting some response. Yeah. And by the way vasodilator just means it, it makes the tunnels bigger. Yeah. It makes those vessels enlarge to drop the pressure. And then usually with nitrates, we're talking about it being on more of the side of the veins or returning blood flow to the heart. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about that mechanism when we talk more about heart disease because it really affects how well the heart itself is able to get its food, oxygen. Correct. And then like hydralazine is a, a direct uh, vasodilator, you know, uh, so that one would work directly on, on your blood vessels to help them open up. And those that's more peripheral. On those blood vessels, yeah. right? Because, you know, these are muscles too. 
Yeah. They're not under direct control of us, but they are a form of muscle, and that's where it's working to try and relax it. Yeah. I think the last one that we're missing that we haven't talked about, the central acting alpha-2 agonist, so clonidine, uh, is the main is the main yeah. one that you hear about there. Uh, methyl dopa for some people, but more commonly you see clonidine used for this, and that will slow down your heart rate, drop your blood pressure. The deal with clonidine, though, is you don't want to miss doses because you get a rebound effect if you miss. So if you go, you know, two, three, four months taking clonidine, then all of a sudden you start missing doses, your blood pressure can actually go rebound higher. Uh, so it's really important not mm-hmm. to miss those doses. And your heart can go up mm-hmm. as well. And then just to note about things like clonidine, because it's, when we say centrally acting, we mean that it's acting on parts of your brain. So because it's there, it can actually cause, if you take too much, if you overdose on this stuff, in addition to things like too slow of a heart rate or too low of a blood pressure, it can make you loopy. Mm-hmm. It can make you goofy. So that's just something to know there. And this is actually, because of the way it works and because of how it can work, when you have people that are trying to detox when they're coming off of things like heroin, opiates. Sometimes this is a medicine that gets yeah. used. So that's just something else to know about it. That doesn't mean that it's it's only use and you can only be on it if that's a problem for you. It just means that's one of its other uses. And this may be something, if you're taking it, you may be taking it as a pill. You may be taking it as a mm-hmm. patch. And then if we're going to talk about any other... We talked about the big ones. Yeah, there are some like other really, like I think there's like a direct renin blocker that I've never seen prescribed that I'm aware of. But yeah, there... We see lots of medicines. Yeah, there's, there are, I'm sure, others. Uh, but these are the the main ones that are used for the vast majority of people. If you're on a blood pressure medication, you'll probably be on one of these classes. Oh, the other thing to know is you may be on one pill, but on more than one medicine. Yes. There are a lot of combination medications out there. There are, yes. The other thing to know about medications is that they may not be as effective as you think they are. So blood pressure reduction is important. Even dropping something like a couple of points can improve your chance of staying healthy, can drop your chance of bad, something bad happening like a stroke by maybe 6% just by a couple of points. But you sometimes these medicines only drop it maybe 2 to 5 points at one time. And so then that's when you end up stacking medications. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need... This one medicine only drops you somewhere between 2 and 10 points. So here's another one that does the same thing and another one. And if you're up there, if you're having blood pressures that are 180 over 90 on a regular day, you've got a lot of ground to cover. Don't be surprised if you're taking four different blood pressure medications for that reason. Yeah, yeah and it gets frustrating for patients too because they've – I think we've talked about this before. There was a study that was done in a – I think it was med school – class that had them take like i don't know how to talk about the the uh health benefits of this but they were taking like different candies every day like a skittles or an m&m or something like that (laughs) i know right uh but it wasn't very much delicious so they Uh. were doing it to mimic taking pills and they told the med students to do it Mm. and journal it and i think you know once they got above like three or four i forget the exact number but the the bottom line is even med students who were in a study for a short period of time who were motivated so as to look quote unquote, good in front of their classmates, most of them failed at, miserably at taking their blood pressure or, or sorry, their, their, their candy medications on time and, and the way they were supposed to. So when you're taking four medications for blood pressure, and some of them are taken more than once a day, it gets mm-hmm. difficult. And this is one of the reasons why we talk about why it's hard. I mean, we've got medications to treat a lot of things. But even remembering and being able to schedule all those medications, you can imagine if you have diabetes and you're on insulin and you take two pills for that, then you take four pills for your blood pressure, and maybe you're on a cholesterol medicine, 
and you know you're on some other heart medicine and you're on a blood thinner because you have AFib, all of a sudden you're taking you know 12, 14 pills a day plus some injections. That's pretty complicated. That's overwhelming. Yeah. And so it doesn't really seem like much, but these things amount to a lot, uh, especially when you're taking multiple medications to control one process, which it's not that these things are important. I mean, of course, we say if your blood pressure is 160, yeah, you need to be on medicine. There's no there's no question about that. But if you can be doing things to reduce your medication load, even if you don't get you don't get off medications entirely, if we can get you from four blood pressure medications down to two, that's a big win. That's an improvement in lifestyle yeah. right there. Just quality of life. Less exposure to potential side effects. Mm-hmm. Less having to remember stuff. Less carrying around a pharmacy mm-hmm. wherever you Less go. Less cost. So that you don't miss it. Yeah, test. it's cheaper. Oh, yeah. Cost is huge. So there are huge things. And for that reason, that's why we say that the emphasis should be on lifestyle intervention. If you have the ability to take control, then why not take control? Because your outcome is going to be better, right? You're going to get the benefits of getting to avoid things like strokes and heart attacks and heart failure and dementia and dialysis. You're going to get those benefits and you're not going to have to remember to carry around a pharmacy and take pills multiple times a day. And there's just, if you're on that many pills, I've seen this, you take too many of the wrong ones and not enough of the right ones. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. it gets very confusing. And I can tell you that I don't know of any doctors, primary care doctors or specialists who manage chronic conditions who wouldn't be absolutely pumped that their patients are trying to get off medications. Oh, they would be so yeah. thrilled. Yeah, this is not something your doctor's going to go, oh, well, you're, you're trying to get off meds. What's your problem? They're going to be, that's awesome. Let's get you off meds. I, I can guarantee yeah. that. How can I help right. you with this? Let's do this right, right now. They don't want you on medicines anymore, then you should want to be on right. medicines. Yeah, I saw this meme that's out there. I don't even know if it's a real quote, but supposedly it's by some doctor saying, hey, if I put you on, if you have diabetes and I tell you to lose weight, then you don't come back. But if I put you on a pill, then I get to see you every few months. And that's how we make money. I don't know that's a real... <laughs> Real doctor. I don't know that's a real quote, but it's out there as a meme, and I think it's ridiculous. I have so many things to say about things like this. Um, <laughs> I, I find it so frustrating that people paint doctors like we don't have enough patients to see, first of all. I mean, we have shortages of almost every every type of doctor. Like, There's no problem in picking up patients. So if you, you don't need to come to the doctor any more than once a year, your, your doctor's not going to have our time picking up other patients, to be, to be clear. Let's, I mean, we talk about all the time about how they don't have enough time to spend with patients. Most doctors are frustrated by this, not happy about this. So that, that doesn't make any sense. And, and, your do- and I'm sure that there are cases where this isn't true, but almost certainly your doctor cares about your health. They are not doing this because they think they're going to you know, take advantage of you and, and be able to you know, make money off of you. you know, the primary care docs out there who are, are treating this stuff are not are not celebrating those wins. They're celebrating the wins where, where patients get better or have great outcomes or they, you know, find something for somebody to make their lives better. Um, or their patients do things where they do listen to these lifestyle changes and they're happier. This is not, I, I don't know, demonization of physicians drives me absolutely crazy. I feel like I accidentally you did rant, And, and I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm holding back here. And you're holding I'm back. I'm holding back quite a bit. I know. <laughs> because this is, I can see you start to tremor this here. Is just, this is fr- this oh, frustrating. I wonder what your yeah, blood pressure My blood pressure is probably 180 <laughs> systolic right now. Um, yeah, this is, this is a, people who write those things just have no idea what they're talking about. We just leave that be and let that be a transition into saying that if you are going to take on some lifestyle changes and really take control of your health, one of your allies is probably going to be your primary care doctor. 
They may not have enough time to talk with you about it. They might not even know how potent of a change that could be expected from this, but they are somebody that you need to keep in the loop. Yeah. Because when your blood pressure starts dipping down, those medicines are going to need to be either stopped or changed. Something's going to need yeah. to happen. Yeah, it's very important. And I think that's a decent segue to say that in our next episode, we're going to start talking about things that you are in control of, things that you can do differently in your life to make significant impacts in what your blood pressure reading is. Yes, I agree. And those are going to be the things that uh, hopefully will make the long-standing changes in your life. Anything else, Zach? No, I think that's it. Remember, the way you live can save your life. If this has been helpful to you, please leave a review wherever you get this podcast. Five stars lets other people discover helpful, useful knowledge. Then come visit us at CPRHealthClinic.com where you can sign up for a free consult. You can also sign up for a free newsletter that gives practical health information or even register for our stress transformation course called CPR for the Mind. Thank you for spending some time with us today.